Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Hello and welcome into the Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. I'm Melissa Hyak. And joining me on the line today to share more about the broken heart syndrome is Dr. Rohit Kurana, consultant cardiologist from the Harley Street Heart and Vascular Centre. Hello, Dr. Rohit. Welcome Hi, to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> okay, nice let's to put, be with you. <laughs> thank you very yeah. much. Let's put everybody on the same page uh, first. What is broken heart syndrome exactly? Right. So broken heart syndrome is really a layperson's term for what's in the medical literature um, and the medical world we, we describe as stress cardiomyopathy and, uh, and as you mentioned in your introduction it's also got um, this other term which, relate back, which relates back to the first descriptions by the Japanese medical doctors called Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy but it was given the term broken heart syndrome because again as you alluded to most of the common presentations that were first described in the, in the medical literature were a, a type of response, a damaging response to the heart after typically um, a very extreme emotional trigger and the loss of a loved one, uh, a grieving reaction, you know, mm. was a very typical type of very severe emotional stressor uh, that resulted in this um, syndrome presenting to doctors. Mm. And, and so that's how the term came about and why we synonymize it with broken heart syndrome. In the, in the literature, when it was first described in one of the major medical journals, the New England Journal of Medicine, it was one of the first uh, publications came out just around Valentine's Day. Uh, in, in February 2005, actually, many years ago now. But again, it sort of stemmed from around its publication time around Valentine's Day. So there's a few reasons, mm. but predominantly it's, uh, it's a stress cardiomyopathy. Mm. What does it feel like? What does it feel like? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's typically when we, when we see patients who present with this problem, it can, and this is why cardiologists um, get to see these types of patients, it can mimic very closely the symptoms and signs and the distress that a heart attack causes. So most people listening will be aware that you know, a heart attack presents with um, a sudden onset of chest discomfort, mm. shortness of breath, the feeling of being sweaty, mm. maybe dizzy. Um, and so when people present to the emergency department with symptoms that are not settling down and they mm. mimic what could be misinterpreted as a heart attack, we then do various tests on the patient and mm. classically uh, these patients often have ECG changes uh, which can also mimic the types of ECG changes that we see in an acute heart attack mm. uh, tests that we perform in the emergency department at the time they're consulted can also show abnormalities consistent with the heart muscle being involved so the muscle enzymes which are blood work that we can detect are also abnormal and then this um, and then one of the more cardinal problems is what we see on the echocardiogram. The echocardiogram is an ultrasound scan. which well, ECG, uh, looks, right? I think a lot so, of so, people are more familiar with that term. Yeah, so the, so the ECG, um, what I mentioned a, a second ago, is absolutely right. It's one of the first tests that we do when people come into the emergency department with chest pain. Mm. And the changes that we see on the ECG can also mimic a heart attack. But how is it really triggered? I mean, we know that extreme emotional stress can can trigger it off, right? Mm. Um, but when that episode has passed, uh, some people in deep grief, they, they cry, they have, the pain is so intense, they feel that their heart's been squeezed. But after that episode has passed, um, mm. whatever damage that episode might have caused, does it is it likely to stay on? And what I'm trying to ask is, is it an acute, I suppose, or a chronic condition? 
Is yeah, that the right it, way to ask it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, that's, a, that's a, the right question to ask. And, you know, one of the unknowns with broken heart syndrome is, is that we don't really know, you know, which people are predisposed to it. Um, we know that um, the, the more common population that see coming into the hospitals are postmenopausal women. But, you know, when people have a very extreme trigger, an emotional trigger or physical trigger or fear factor um, that we can determine. We don't know whether this syndrome, uh, why it, you know, whether it's an exaggeration of the normal stress response or whether such individuals have some sort of pathological defect which makes them more predisposed to go on to develop uh, an abnormal problem with the heart. Mm. But we don't really appreciate that level of the mechanism. Um, if that's, if that's what you're asking. Mm, but, mm. But, but it's an acute, but uh, again, just to extend, it's an acute problem. So when mm. people come in, it's usually on the back of symptoms, which are clearly distressing and uh, are acute in the sense that um, people get very, very severe short of breath. They get some chest heaviness and chest pressure. They mm. become sweaty. They become giddy. They have all the symptoms that make them worried. Are they having a heart attack? Mm. Well, I, I think oftentimes a lot of people, when they're going through emotional stress, they're not eating properly. They're not sleeping properly. Do you do you find that um, th- this often also gets underdiagnosed because people are not coming to you or com- going to doctors, um, you know, to have these uh, symptoms looked into? Yeah, I mean, the prevalence in the medical literature is that it's probably only when people come in with chest pain and, and heart attack type symptoms, stress cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome mm. really only accounts for what we see in the hospital of about less than 1% of these presentations mm. of, of chest pain. But probably people have more milder forms of chest pain that settles down within a few hours that mm. may, may represent an underdiagnosis mm. or an underappreciation of the true prevalence in the community. Mm. But of course, the literature, you know, won't really pick that type of um, incidence up. In the sim- simplest terms possible, could you yeah. explain why people might die from this? Right. So from what we understand, um, the mechanism of, of stress cardiomyopathy is that in response to a very extreme trigger, uh, we mentioned you know, emotional mm-hmm. stress, such as extreme grief or extreme fear. Um, it often provokes an overwhelming production of catecholamines. And catecholamines are a family of hormones of which adrenaline mm, okay. um, is one such hormone. There are other hormones in this family, but we do know that there's an excess of adrenaline in patients who present with stress cardiomyopathy. And we believe that it sort of floods the, the receptors um, in the heart muscle. And, um, and so this results in a form of stunning um, to the heart muscle. Mm-hmm. And classically, and this is where the description of Takotsubo comes in, mm. it tends to affect preferentially the, the, the main pumping chamber of the heart mm. at its apex or in the mid-segment. So when we, look with, when we look at the heart with an ultrasound, it's got this sort of apical ballooning pattern, which mm. is because the apex of the heart or the mid part of the heart's ventricle, the pumping, pumping chamber, doesn't seem to contract because it's stunned. It's just not mm. contracting. Mm. And when that happens, you know, the heart stops pumping, you get a whole series of consequences um, in the person's physiology that can result in fluid buildup in the lungs. They can become congested with uh, water uh, logging, what we call pulmonary congestion, and that can have a, a mortality. That can have a um, that can have a, a mortality, a death rate associated with it. Mm. 
there may be other mechanisms as well when the heart is stunned and you get this deluge of catecholamines on the heart it can result in a sudden onset of a an arrhythmia which can be dangerous and an arrhythmia can suddenly stop the heart working. Now, we're talking about this, but fortunately, you know, the mortality associated with stress cardiomyopathy is extremely low. Okay. So, I mean, even though, yes, mortality is one of the consequences, it's an extremely rare event, and the vast, vast majority of people, mm. um, your audience needs to be reassured, recover uh, within, a few, week, within okay. a few days to okay. a few weeks. That is reassuring. I was getting really quite worried. <laughs> okay. Now, but, vast majority, vast, vast majority. Yeah, but... According to the data, we also know that it affects almost 90% of women more, or no, affects women 90% more than men. It does, it does. And again, you know, the, the gender difference of this is something that's interesting and, uh, and why it's a syndrome that affects primarily women and um, even more than that, primarily postmenopausal women. Uh, we don't really understand, mm. actually, you know, the, the differences in catecholamine metabolism and the responsiveness, mm. you know, between the genders. We don't really understand. So that's certainly one of the mysteries, you know, which, again, um, you know, needs to be further uncovered. But it is true, the demographics and the prevalence mm. consistently across different parts of the globe, Singapore included, you know, it tends to be more of a post-menopausal women's problem. Okay, we don't know and, why yet, right? No, yeah. but I mean, if you remember the story, and I, I think, you know, topical that this is, it's because of recently in the in the in, in the press of course there was that very tragic fatal shooting at the children's school in texas yes. at the end of may and if you recall one of the teachers um was a lady who'd been working at the school for i think 20 years and her husband two days later when he was preparing the funeral light uh, funeral, mm, mm. um after she was fatally shot mm. you know succumbed as well mm. and and again that was thought to be due to broken heart syndrome or stress cardiomyopathy. So it's not exclusively a woman's mm. problem. And, and men, as illustrated by this tragic case, can also be affected. Uh, but um, the literature would seem to suggest, and in my experience, over the years I've been practicing mm. have you seen a middle to late age women's problem oh have you seen or, or heard cases in Singapore yeah, I mean yes I mean it's rare it's rare but um, but the last case I saw uh, was a lady in her 80s who um, in fact about uh, six weeks two months ago was traveling from India to see her family based in Singapore and she herself was a, a widow and lived by herself in mm. India and was the first time traveling by herself for many years um, to come to Singapore Singapore. And I think, you know, that resulted in her feeling a great deal of anxiety. Mm. And on the flight, she became extremely worked up, extremely anxious, mm. probably the fear of traveling by herself um, after a very long time. Mm. And, when she, and she got into um, a great deal of distress and to the point where, you know, even on the flight, she wanted to turn back. She was that worked up. When she landed in Singapore, of course, her family were happy to receive her and they uh, looked after her. But later in the day, she developed chest pain, mm. breathing difficulty. Sweating, mm. all those symptoms which would mimic a heart attack, and was brought into the emergency department here where I consulted her. And it was, as I've described, you know, all the changes consistent with a heart attack, blood tests, the ECG. But when you look at the arteries of the individual, there's no severe blockage. They all appear to be normal. The um, ultrasound seems to have this very classic, unique appearance. And it was very consistent with mm. the stress cardiomyopathy mm. in response to an extremely, in response to a trigger, probably due to the fear of her traveling by herself for the first time in a long time. 
And so, you know, I think that was the last case I saw. But over the years, I mean, because it's a relatively common problem as we see it, you know, there have been uh, several cases, yeah. And given that this is triggered by emotional stress, would you then say that the prevention tools are also uh, to do, uh, also within the, you know, um, psychological realm? Yes, but it's very, very hard. I mean, everybody has their own ways of managing and dealing with stress. I mean, I mean, we all face stresses in our life and sometimes very extreme stresses. And mm. I think some people deal with the same trigger of stress and the same level of stress with different thresholds of managing it. So it's, it's really quite hard and, um, and difficult to put to somebody. Mm. You know, you have to have ways of managing your stress or distancing yourself from triggers mm. because mm. those sorts of problems are just part of living life, I would say. And does the data show it presenting itself in people with different kinds of personalities or only those who tend to be more, I don't know, introverted or more sensitive? Do yeah. we have any form of data? That's a very good question. Actually, and I, I have to hold up my hands. I don't really know. Um, you know whether more anxious individuals, uh, as you put it, more introverted individuals, may be more susceptible. Um, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know um, mm. to that, but it's something that you know um, when you uh, when you take a story from somebody, uh, and we see many patients, of course, in our working life. Um, it is everybody has. You know, we, we all see different people of different personalities and. It's, uh, you know, it's lots of things in life. Why, why do some people, why are some people more susceptible than others? I think it is definitely one of the mysteries of clinical practice. Mm -hmm. I suppose, again, not just the broken heart syndrome, we've also uh, seen reports or at least heard of studies uh, that have told us that stress actually, you know, adds a lot of physical stress on the body and, and you know, may result in a lot of other conditions aside from broken heart syndrome. So, so <laughs> managing our stress is something we need to all need to learn, especially in this era. Well, Dr. Rohit Kurana, thank you so much for your time and, and for so patiently explaining um, this uh, medical condition to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. That was Dr. Rohit Kurana, consultant cardiologist from the Harley Street Heart and Vascular Centre, talking to us about a broken heart syndrome. You are with Money FM 89.3. I'm Melissa Hyaf for the Workday Afternoon. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.